this time, uh, Joseph, um, his brother is going to come. He just recently graduated high school this year, and on uh, Wednesday, he's set to, um, to to move to Illinois uh, to attend class at the University of Illinois in uh, Urbana-Champaign. So he's going to come and, and share um, yeah, just what his brother's life, <clears throat> and especially things that God has shown him this past week. So let's welcome Joseph as he comes up to share. Start right away. Thursday morning, I got a phone call from my dad around 11.30 a.m. saying that my brother had been missing since Thursday afternoon. As I heard this news, I couldn't believe it, so I called him again to confirm. Then my heart fell numb, started crying in sorrow and pain. I began to play many scenarios in my head since I knew what the river looked like from the past mission trip. I was scared. I imagined my brother being cold in the water. Because he gets cold really easily. I was angry at the same time. I felt like this wasn't fair. But I kept praying, hoping that my brother would be found. I, I felt like my brother didn't deserve this. And if it was to happen to my, in our family, I felt like it should have been me. As Pastor Inky, my dad, and I went to Ecuador Friday afternoon. And I saw our team, Ecuador team. I couldn't help but cry. That night, Pastor Dio and I started talking about my brother. Pastor Dio said that he was so freaking proud of my brother that I started crying again. Then I felt, I felt like at that moment, I was forced to be in a place where I had to trust in the Lord, and I had no other hope than in Jesus Christ. I knew the only thing I could do was pray and trust him, trust him, trust him that my brother would be found and come home safely. My brother began his missionary work in the city of Tampa. Then he ended up reaching out to people in Taiwan, Dominican Republic, and Ecuador. I can't tell you guys how proud, proud I am of my brother. Many Sundays, he would go to church early to play his bass guitar or cello to lead people into worship. Whenever I saw him play up in the stage, he gave me a big smile since he was singing louder than Pastor Albert without a microphone. And he would always be smiling, leading people into worship. As Pastor Diel, Pastor Inky, my dad, and I went to Lumbaki, where our missionary team had done their ministry, God showed us that he was still sovereign, and he had many plans for my family. Even though I couldn't see it at the moment, my dad and I trust in our God that there will be fruits from this. The first night at Lumbaki, I started looking through my brother's personal bag, and I found this journal from last year's mission trip from CTI and this year's time in Ecuador. As I was reading, many tears came down. He wrote down how he wanted to get out of his comfort zone to do God's work. He would even get out into the cold places, willing to sacrifice his comfort and warmth for God's glory. When my dad read his journal, he began to cry as well and told me that he was comforted by my willingness to go the extra miles for God's kingdom. As we had our last service at Cabano, it was one of the best services I ever had. God's presence was so thick in that place. Many people were in tears, but this time was different. I truly believe greater things are yet to come. Oh, no, different. It wasn't tears of pain or sorrow anymore, but it was tears of joy. Joy about my, what my brother has done. Joy knowing that God has used him to plant seeds in the city of Lumbaki, Gabeno, and Sinangue. I truly believe greater things are yet to come. I believe God will continually use my brother's testimonies to save many souls around the world. 
Now my parents want to serve and support Ecuador mission team every year. I'm glad I have parents who have such a strong faith. This incident has brought my family closer, my friends closer, and has brought our church together. Through this incident, Mike, through God has answered many of my prayers. God has brought unity and the star of revival to our church. I believe God has put, out, put fires in many of our hearts. Now it's our turn to keep it burning. Because of my brother, I have made many commitments, but I know I will fall and stumble along the road. So I need you got your prayers to strengthen me. I need to keep on fighting and tell the world about Jesus like my brother did. I'm so proud of you, huh? I'll miss you, but you are in a better place where you belong. Right now, I bet you're playing basic guitar and singing louder than ever. The same way that you did while you were in, in our temporary home. Soon and very soon, we'll be the we will be with our king, and I'm very glad we can come together and rejoice my brother's life. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Joseph, for that brave um, declaration of, of faith in Christ and your remembrance of the great man of God that your brother was and will continue to be in, in, in your life. Um, again, if uh, really, um, really great to be together in church with y'all. Uh, it's been um, yeah, really uh, amazing to see um, the church, our church come together. And that's one of our, our hopes and desires, that when you talk about Harvest, you talk about KPCO, that you wouldn't talk about the church or that church or this church, um, but it would be, uh, you would say that this is my church, this is our church, and that you would really embrace this. Um, if you've been with us for some time, you've probably heard me um, talk about this, but um, I think it bears repeating. In 1970, there was this uh, <clears throat> lunar mission space shuttle mission to land on the moon, Apollo 13, you know this. Um, first lunar landing had taken place just a little bit before that. It was a third such mission, um, pretty simple. I uh, didn't think anything of it, didn't get any airtime. Movie was made about this, Tom Hanks, Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon's been in every movie, but Tom Hanks, Kevin Bacon, Bill Paxton, um, Ed Harris was in it. Um, this movie um, depicts this, this actual thing that happened in, in 1970. Um, and... Two days after the launch, uh, something happened. There's, a, there's an accident on the shuttle causing the, the shuttle to lose all oxygen and electricity. And so they had to shut down. They didn't think it was going to make it back. Um, they powered on all this stuff in order to, to try and somehow salvage it back into uh, uh, back to, to Earth safely. And as it was uh, trying to reenter the atmosphere, the question is, does it have enough? Does it have what it takes to withstand the heat of reentry into the Earth's atmosphere? atmosphere? And in this movie, you see there's these two engineers, and they're talking about it. One guy's saying to the other, he's explaining all the problems, like, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And, and the other guy says, look, I understand. I understand all the issues here. This could be the worst disaster NASA has ever experienced. And overhearing this is, is their superior, Ed Harris. And he looks over at them, and he says, with all due respect, sir, I believe this will be our finest hour. Now, as people have been talking about 
what happened two weeks ago, this coming Thursday. Uh, some people have painted it as a tragedy. I don't want to see it that way because I don't think that's what it is. I think it's, it's sad and it's unfortunate. But to call it a tragedy outside of the realm of God's understanding or outside of the realm of God's providence, I don't think, I don't believe with, with, for, for a moment that that's what it was. Under this amazing promise of, of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that says, in, in addition to God's sovereignty, that all things work together for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Inside, within, underneath this amazing promise is the fact that God was sovereign even over this event. And had he wanted Joshua to be with us today, then even he, he would have done that. And if he wanted Tico to be home with him now as he is, then even a hundred people wouldn't have been able to stop it from happening. You see, God is sovereign and that he, he is in control and we have to rest in that glorious hope and that we have a hope on the other side of life that's causing there to be this, this sense of bitterness and yet at the same time sweetness. Somebody posted something on my, on my Facebook wall saying that this is really bittersweet. It's bitter for us who remain, but it's sweet for him. It's sweet for Tico because he's where he wants to be, where he needs to be, where he longed to be, where he envisioned himself being when he was up here. And where he longed for people to be when he was out there in the world, telling the world that Jesus lives, telling the world that he died for them, telling the world that he lives again and that we too can live. And as we think about what's happened and where we go from this place, I want to challenge us and and move us forward to say that rather than seeing this as a disaster, as a tragedy, to see that this could be our finest hour, and it will be our finest hour. And in so many ways, in so many ways, you have come together, we have come together as a church and as a church with a capital C around the world to not let Tico's life and death be in vain. And so towards that end, I want to turn our attention to the Word of God in John chapter 12 to read verses 24 and 25. And bring out two simple points and then illustrate them through Tico's life and through what uh, Joseph, myself, Joseph's dad, and Pastor Inky has seen over the past week. And I know that this is all very, very new and very fresh. But already we see, already we see the unfolding of a much grander purpose. Uh, And I want to communicate that to you guys uh, to let you know why really... I believe with all my heart and not just fluff speak that this will be our finest hour. Jesus says this in John chapter 12, verses 24 through 25. He says, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is God's word. I just want to um, highlight two things real quick here. Um, Just simple points, but the the points are not important. You don't have to really write these down. I just want you to hear. Uh, the, The first thing that we see here is that there's an irrational call on our lives. He says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a single seed. 
if we, as our lives, just a kernel of wheat, remain to keep ourselves alive and to keep ourselves living for the American dream and do all this stuff, then we're just going to remain a single seed. But if it falls to the ground and dies, then it produces many seeds. It's a principle of, of, of we laying down our lives for the sake of others. We, we see this to be true in, in so many cases, in so many different ways, how this is what we're called to do. But I, I want to take a moment, if I could, to uh, let Tico speak uh, through his journal uh, some of the things that he shared. Uh, it was on a Thursday that he passed away, but we were able to read, and, and, and Joshua, I'm sorry, Joseph typed up um, the last three days of his life and some of the things that the Lord God was doing in him. So I want to share this with you as a way of knowing that he ended well and that he embodied this verse that we just read. Monday, August 1st, my first day in Ecuador. What a tiring day. Many things happened. We've only spent less than 24 hours, and yet God has spoken to my heart dearly. I need to get out of my comfort zone. When I first got to Quito, I thought it was colder than I expected. Sometime throughout the day, I wondered if I can survive in cold places. I was thinking if God was to send me to somewhere colder than where I am right now, would I be able to follow his command? Knowing God and his blessing, I know my answer should have been yes, but I had to think twice. I think this shows my hesitation toward his calling because I'm comfortable and I know I should get out of my comfort zone. Once I go to Boston, it will be cold. Would I do what God has called me to do? I think I will find out later, but I hope and I am sure I will. Tuesday, August 2nd, I started out the day with a huge breakfast. Knowing Tico, that's a miracle. Filling my stomach and getting ready to be used by God through it. Much hard manual labor awaits us. The degree of its hardship was something unexpected. Moving wood that was cut, 110-pound bags of cement that are heavier than me, and moving raw logs. I got myself dirty, but I gave my best for the people in Cabano so they could build a new church building. I wanted to be part of this special privilege to build a new church. I gave my all, and I loved it. Once we came back, we ate dinner and spent some time outside talking with people from this missions group that was with us. Then for some reason, we decided to grab a guitar and sing some songs outside. I loved the time of praise and our unity in Christ. I hoped that this could happen often at our church. When the missions people left to get some rest, our team sang more songs. While we were singing, One kid named David came to us. We approached him and started to talk to him. We sang Solo Cristo together and some other songs too. We also did some skits for him. We shared the gospel while Yesong and Lisa translated. He said he wanted to accept Christ in his life and we prayed together. We invited him to church too. 
I thank God for how he can use us out there to reach out to this one kid. Everyone has a gift for God to use. Wednesday morning, Wednesday, the last day he would write in his journal. This morning I had a hard time getting up. Due to all the manual labor we've done, I was very tired and exhausted. I slept through my way to Cabano and I barely held on to stay awake. I did lots of moving rocks and water. We made cement to fill in the holes in the church ground. In the middle of the work, I got a chance to teach children a Bible story. You saw that. I talked about Zacchaeus and Jesus. Kids love the story, the skits and the crafts. I'm glad God has given me an opportunity to be part of his ministry in Cabano. Although I was tired, I gave my best. After lunch, we worked. We worked out in the sun with joy. Seeing my team members working hard encouraged me to work hard too. Although I got dirty and smelly, I think it was worth it. And here's one of the last things he wrote after some uh, reflections on a worship service. He said, our name and status on the earth do not matter. But heavenly reward is what matters. You know, to me, one thing that, that stands out as we hear all this is his willingness to, to, to move out of what was comfortable for him. And for him, that's what it meant for him to, to, to die to himself. He knew that he wasn't the strongest one out there. He's, he told me he fluctuates between 98 and 102 pounds. I'm like, man, that's like picking up 110 bags, pound bags of cement and moving it from a truck inside of a church. Like doing things that he knew otherwise, I, I, I can't do this, but I'm going to give it a shot. He knew that he wasn't the best one at, at, at speaking English, but he jumped at the opportunity to teach kids about Zacchaeus. This man who so wanted to see Jesus that he climbed up on a tree so that he could see him. And then to tell about this Jesus who then would later go and climb up on a tree so that we could see God. And he lived to, to tell this story to people uh, uh, of things that he just going out and, and pushing himself and stretching himself. Though he wasn't the, the first one that, that we would call on to, to, to do all this manual labor, but he was the one who was doing that. Picking up heavy things of, of stones and, and, and moving them over. I, I, I don't know what it means what, for, for you to leave your comfort zone, but that's one of the challenges of, of Tico's life for all of us. What does that look like for you? Uh, he could have made a ton of excuses why he should be disqualified from this area of ministry, from this thing, or I'll just rest a little bit. But what, what reason do we have to not do, to not go outside of the comfort zone? He said, because of God's blessing and grace, I think I ought to do this. I should do this. And what holds us back, church? What keeps us from going the extra mile? What keeps us from moving outside of our comfort zone? And what does that even mean? What does that even look like in our lives? Maybe for you, it, it means just to let go in worship the way that he did and say, I don't care. He, when, he, when he stood up here to worship, he didn't care what you thought or I thought or anybody else thought. He just worshiped God with everything that he had. He said, you know, it doesn't matter. It's, it's like this woman who anointed Jesus with that alabaster jar of, of perfume, broke it, and everyone said, why this waste? He said, I don't care what anybody says. The only thing that matters to me is that if I can, if I can just bring honor and glory to Jesus, I'll do it. The people can say this, they can say that, but it doesn't, it, that doesn't mean anything. 
Maybe for some of us, that's the message that his life speaks to you. Maybe for others of us, it's, it's, we need to stop living this, this earthly dream. You see, here's the thing. He says, Jesus says, whoever uh, loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Not like I hate life, I want to die, but it's saying compared to Christ, it's such a discrepancy that it seems as if I hate life because I love Jesus that much more. For, for, for us to, to really understand that. See, God, he moves us out of our comfort when we become too comfortable. Either we will move ourselves out of our comfort zone, people of God. Get this. Either you will move yourself out or God will forcibly move you out. He discomforts those of us who are comfortable so that we can bring the comfort of Christ to those who are discomforted. That's what he did with Tico. He got out of his comfort zone because he knew that there was people who needed the message of hope, who needed the message of Christ. And he had that. He said, I don't do this perfectly. I don't do this well. I don't do this like the other people do it, but I'm going to give it a shot because God's going to use my life and he's going to use it to make an influence. What keeps us from living the life that God has called us to live? Maybe for some of us, that means I'm going to stop using my family as an excuse. Maybe for some of us, that means I'm going to stop using my finances as an excuse. Once I get my financial ducks in order, then I'll do this. Then I'll go. Then I'll serve the cause of God in missions. What does that look like for us to move out of our comfort zone? Because if we remain in this place and we remain in this place as a singular seed. But if it falls to the ground, dying to itself, alive to Christ then it gives life to many, gives birth to many seeds. The second thing, there's an irrational call, but there's an illogical influence that this singular seed can have. I just want to begin to to talk about, he says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Again, in order for me to adequately explain all that happened, we have to kind of back up uh, to before we even went to Ecuador. We were thinking of a, a way that we could support our missionaries here. Here at, at, at Harvest, each of our house churches support a missionary. And one of them was a missionary in, in Ecuador named Yunju Song. And as we're talking with her, she said, you know, we'd love to have you guys come. And there's an area in the upper part of the Amazon region that nobody wants to go to. For a lot of different reasons. It's far. It's uncomfortable. The ro- Up until eight years ago, there had been no paved roads from Quito down to that Amazon region up until eight years ago. So nobody ever wanted to go up there. There were uh, Native Native Indian people who lived there who were very closed off. Ministry wouldn't be – it wouldn't be uh, the kind where you go to some place and and you see like all these people, hundreds and hundreds of people gathered for worship. It's like you're going and you're preaching to 10, 15, 20 people, an unreached people group up there. But I think you guys might enjoy it. As we said, our heartbeat is that we would want to go. We want to go to where people are not. We want to go where, where we can make a difference. We want to go where the gospel can, can, can be reached. And so we said, we'll go. That first year we went out there, it was two years ago. Went out there and we worked with a church in, in, in a town called Lumbaki. In that place, people would gather for worship and maybe about 10, 15 people that we would worship with. 
And one of the things that we noticed very quickly that we began to realize, Ecuador, the people of Ecuador are very different from other Latin American, South American countries. They don't run up to you and hug you. They don't say hi to you. They don't make eye contact with you. And we would later learn that the people of Ecuador live with this heavy weight of inferiority. Because every war they've ever fought in, they've lost. They, they don't have as much as other, other nations or developing country. They don't have a lot. And so kids are fearful. People are not outgoing. The, the pictures that, uh, that we have don't show them really smiling that much. We don't have that many pictures. They don't want to be in them with us. So that's a church in Lumbaki. And across the, this, this, this river, there's a group of people called the Kofan, an unreached people group in a town called Sinangwe. And these people had been attacked so much. At one point, their population was about 20,000, but it had been ravaged. They'd been plundered. They'd been, they'd been attacked. And it was down to 2,100 people. And 300 of them live in this Amazonian Ecuador area. And in order for us to get there, we had to cross this river called the, the, the Agua Rico River, which is the river in which Tico ended up losing his life. It's that river that we had to cross and we had to wait for boats to come. And, and on many occasions, we couldn't cross the river because the water was too high and it was too rocky. We asked, well, maybe uh, perhaps a bridge could be built. And they said, we don't want a bridge because we don't want people to come over to where we are. Because we've been so attacked by foreigners that we want to remain isolated. We want to dictate who comes over and when they come over. And so that first year we went over and we began to, 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 to dig the foundation for what would become uh, a church building. And we said, let's give it a couple years. We'll come back. We'll, the, hopefully the building will be done and then we'll, we'll come back. But that year... Our missions report, there wasn't, we didn't say anything dramatic like, oh my gosh, 15 people came to Christ. It was just, we kind of saw, that's kind of it. One of the things that, that stood out to me was in, in this Kofan people, just asking this one boy, do you know Jesus Christ? Have you heard of Jesus Christ? And he said, no. I don't know if there's been many times when I've asked a child that question and they said they never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And so we came back home. We said, we're going to go one more year. We're going we're to uh, worship in that church building. So we went out there last year. Church building was not yet done. In fact, we had to do much more work than we did the first year in bringing uh, the, the blocks that would uh, become the walls of the church. So we did some stuff there. We didn't even get to, to really preach there. We did some children's ministry, BBS there, and continually working with the church in Lumbaki. These three, uh, two churches, and in the middle, there's a church called Cabena, which we went to last year for the first time. Okay, so there's Lumbaki, Sinangue, and then Cabeno here. We're working with these three churches. These three are among 13 of that denomination within this area that are being led by one pastor who's part-time. So last year, the first night we were there in the church in Lumbaki, we held a worship service. And after we presented the gospel, we gave an invitation and asked people to raise their hand to come up to the front if they wanted to give their lives to Christ. And the entire church, including their pastor, came up to give his life to Christ. I'm hoping something got lost in translation. Because when your pastor becomes a Christian for the first time, that tells you something about the spiritual climate of the area in which we're working. But since the church in, in uh, Sinangue was not completed yet, we said, okay, we'll give it one more year, that this year, 2011, is going to be our last year. We're going to come back, and this is it. We got back, came back to, to Lumbaki, was doing ministry with the church there. Uh, same stuff, you know, similar stuff. But the one thing that was different this year, 
couple things were different. One, the church in Sinangui was completed, and we were able to, uh, to pray in there and to do a children's ministry there, which was, was really amazing. We also began working towards starting a church in Cabeno also. This is what you saw pictures of, to, to, to work towards building this church. But our, our whole thing was we'll, we'll worship, we'll pray in the church in Sinangue, and then we're done. We're there, and, and one of the things that was probably the most different about this time around was that we would eat in Cabeno. We would eat in the homes of people who invited us to eat there. We thought it was different to get a, a home-cooked meal from an actual Ecuadorian family. And we ate there every day that we were there. Little did we realize until the end of our trip that for a, an Ecuadorian family is not like a, a family in, in Mexico, for example, where hospitality is a big thing. For someone to invite you into their home is for them to say, we're family now. And so we felt that after one, two, our third time here, finally, they're beginning to think that we're family. That we can trust you. That we could open up to you. One of the things that our missionaries said, they had, no missionary ever has ever gone out to this area as a short-term trip outside of the first missionary who went to this area, who was the father of a man named Nelson, who has been working with us. He was the first missionary to ever cross that river. Um, but after that time, no one has ever gone over. And one of the things that our missionary Chris said to us was that your one week in that area is going to strengthen that, those churches for the 51 weeks of the rest of the year because they will know that they're not alone because no one ever goes to visit them in that area. And so these are the things that we're hearing and these are the things that we're seeing. And then Thursday, August 4th, rolls around. We're working to do, uh, build the church in Cabeno again. And that day, one of the men of Cabeno, a man named Raul, says, after lunch, let's go swimming uh, in a local river. It's a spot where tourists love to come. It's where people always come and they go swimming. And so we all decided that we're going to go out there. And so we went out to that place and uh, we're swimming. And it, it was in that, that place during that time that we, we lost uh, lost Tika. We last saw him. And in that moment, everyone in that area was completely devastated. Some of the first thoughts that, 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 that came to our mind as we saw these people in the church in Lumbaki and in, in Sinangue and Cabeno, they were completely crushed. And so we're thinking, what would happen if we never came back to this place again? Would they think that it's because we didn't love them anymore? Would they think that we held them responsible for what happened to our brother? Would they think that all these years of these, these three years of building relationships was, was wasted time? And as we're thinking about this, we're thinking about the fact that one week strengthens them for 51 weeks and, and how they need to know that they're not alone and all of these things running through our mind and, and just asking people on our team, hey, would you want to come back here? And in that, 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 that day after, that Friday, asking four of our people, uh, they said, my likelihood is 80%, 95%, 100%, 100% that I want to come back here. And the one who said 80 said, uh, it, it's going up now. I want to I come back. 
And so obviously everyone is, 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 is praying and the, and the church is coming together. Our church is coming together and we're praying in, in, in ways that we have not prayed before. And, and, and we're, we're uniting in a way that we, we've never done before. And when I hear each night about the times of praise and the times of worship, I wonder, can it be called a tragedy when Tico gave his life in such a way that you're worshiping, we're worshiping as a church in ways that he only dreamed about two days before. That I dreamed that my church could come together in spontaneous prayer and worship and unity like this. I dreamed that this would happen. The next day when, when Joseph and his dad came, and as we're going through and we're, we're talking about these things, and as Joseph is hearing about all of his buddies praying for him and all of his, the church praying for him, and, and he came and, and he said, you know what? I, I remember how faithful God is. Because for so much of my high school years, I prayed that God would revive my, my friends, that God would revive our youth, that he would revive our church. I prayed and I never saw that. I complained about it. I said, God, why do I feel so alone in this? And he said, finally, finally, I'm beginning to see. I'm beginning to see that these friends that I prayed about so much are now praying for me. That the revival that I prayed for, that I longed for, that I wished for all these years is finally happening. And it took my brother's life in order for it to happen. But I know that his life was not in vain. Because unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And as Joseph's dad comes and, and he, he begins to read open the journal that I just read to you all. And he begins to see the joy in his son's heart and why he came to this place. And, and just seeing that I love doing this. It's worth it. I want to do this more and more. That this is what I live for. And his dad said, I need also to come out of my comfort zone. All these years, God's been telling me that I need to leave my comfort zone. And now Tico, my son, is telling me this. And now I know I need to. And as he's reading about the beauty of Ecuador through his son's writings, he says, I want to see what made this country so special to him. And as he begins walking through the land, and as we begin searching this 80-mile river, this 80-mile river up and down rocks and rivers and in canoes. And as he's looking at this for two days, he didn't, see, didn't find anything. And he read the book of the Bible that bears his son's name, Joshua, chapter 1, verse 3. He says, this is the land I'm to give to you. Walk it. And everywhere you set foot, I'll give this land to you. And he said, the reason why we haven't found my son is because God wanted me to claim this land as my own. That his life is not going to be in vain. This mission trip is not going to be in vain. I'm going to give my life to the people of Ecuador. He said, I set aside all this money to send Joshua to college. I want to pump this kind of money into the people of Ecuador so that the kingdom of God would be built here. And as people in, in, already stricken with this inferiority complex throughout Ecuador, some of the national leaders said to me, they said, we feared that you would hate our country, that you would tell people that this country is, is, is cursed, that we would, you, you would never send people back. But as they begin to hear, especially the church in Cabano begin to hear the word of God, as, as each of the four of us begin to share, especially uh, Joseph and his dad beginning to share that there's never been a time that we've loved you more than right now. The presence of God was so real in that place. And just this, this sweeping of, of, of forgiveness and freedom and release. And especially for this, this one man that everyone in the village was blaming. Said, why did you take them to that place? And we got to minister to him and we got to speak into his heart. 
to say that you're family, that you're one of us, that we love you. We love you. When we said we wanted to worship with these three churches in Cabano, people said, why would you want to go back to Cabano? And we said to them, because the people of this area are precious to God and they're precious to us. And we committed our hearts to say, yeah, we've got policies, but the people are more important. We've got rules, but these relationships are more important than that. We said, we're going to plant our roots deeply into this country. They said that as this church in Cabano is being built, that the cornerstone of this church is going to bear the name of Joshua Tico Kim. And they're never going to forget his life and his legacy. That all over, I, I got an email from a blogger the other day. He said, I wanted to write the story of, of Josh. Can you read this and tell me if it's accurate? Because I want people, people need to know this story. The, the, as we met in, in Quito for the, for the very last night, before we, we all returned here uh, back home, before we turned here back home, some of the national leaders of the, uh, of the church in, in Ecuador presented Tico's dad with a plaque. And it said, honoring the vision and the service and the life and the mission of Joshua Kim. I never before has a church in Ecuador been united the way that it is now. That there's not a person in any church in Ecuador that doesn't know his name. And because of him, they're going to know the name of the Savior. All up and down this, this, this river where many people have, we didn't know, but many people have lost their lives. It wasn't the military. It wasn't the police. It wasn't the firemen. It wasn't the civil defense, but it was the Kofan people of Sinangue who ended up finding Tico's body the day we came back to the States. You see, they're always the ones who are called on in search and rescue missions because they know this river better than anybody else. And they search, but never before have they searched like they have for Tico. 5.30 in the morning before the sun comes up, they're getting their stuff ready and they're going up and down this river, up and down this river until the sun goes down looking for him. And it's only fitting that he was found by the ones that he wanted to bring to Christ so much. And all along this river, he was found just downstream from Sinangue and the people that he loved so much. See, there are fire seeds of awakening that are being spread and that are being scattered. Right, this is not a tragedy, people of God. It's not. All around, people are rising up, and as they hear and see your Facebook updates, but not only that, as they begin, and, and as the church unites to pray, not our church, but the church unites to pray, not only are they praying, but they're beginning to hear testimonies of a faith that rises up, and the people of Ecuador are rising up to see that the gospel is worth it, to see that your church is going to come back because you believe that Jesus is worth it, because you believe that the gospel is worth it, because you care for the people of Ecuador, because they need to know the hope of the gospel. And I've talked to people in the KM and I've talked to people in Harvest who've never before gone, who said, I want to go, I need to go, I need to go, and I need to bring the hope that, that Tico had. I need to share that with other people. My fear is that we're going to explode. Our mission team is going to be so big when we go next year that we're not going to have enough people back home to pray. Because Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And life is given to so many people. See, just 45 minutes away from where Tico and the rest of us were ministering, about 55 years ago, there was another group of missionaries, five men, 
who wanted so desperately to take the gospel of Christ to a, cannibal, to a head-hunting tribe called the Alka Indians. And they gave their lives. They were speared in a misunderstanding. And one of them, a man named Jim Elliott, said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I think as people of God, we understand what this means. That we give our lives that we cannot keep anyways to gain these things that we will never, ever, ever lose. To gain Christ. To gain an inheritance. To gain a reward. When we understand what God is doing, even just eight days after, nine days after, ten days after, as the dust continues to settle, we see more and more of this picture unfolding. We realize that God is in sovereign control and it's for the salvation of many and for the glory of his name that he took his child home early, earlier than we expected. But we exchange gladly in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of hardship, this temporary goodbye so that throughout Ecuador, throughout that region, we will say eternal hellos to people on the other side of this life. That's what his life was given to. It was not in vain. It was not a loss. But he gave and he gave to show the ultimate sacrifice of the one. That Jesus Christ is this kernel of wheat that he was talking about. And he fell to the ground and he died so that many seeds could be produced from him. And through him, each and every single one of us is a seed and we have a choice that we will either save our lives and remain a single seed or we'll give it away to Christ and for the sake of those who don't know that in so doing, many seeds would be born and that many sons would be brought to glory. I believe with all of my heart, and I hope that you stand with me in this, that indeed this could be and will be our finest hour. Let's pray. As we come before the Lord God in prayer, let's believe in faith that the Lord God is calling us to live like Tico lived and especially to live as he lived the last week of his life with reckless abandon, moving out of his comfort zone to throw himself desperately upon God that God would do through him what he could not do on his own. And as we thank the Lord God for the life and legacy and lessons of Tico's life, let's ask the Lord God, God, I want to live. I want to really live to lay down my life that I might find it in the end, to lay down my life so that others would find it in the end. Let's come before the Lord in prayer and let's just offer ourselves to him. Lord, what do you need? What do you want? What is it that you want me to do? What do I need to do in order to honor you? Sometimes, many times, the great writer says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. Would we hear the voice of love? Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Let's respond for a couple moments right now. Just 
surrendering our hearts to the Lord God. God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to proceed? Let's take a moment to offer our hearts in, in surrender, in dedication, devotion to the Lord. ask us to think for a second. What is one thing that you're being challenged to do? I'm, I'm serious. This is what God's word constantly shows us and our experience shows us that when we stay comfortable, God's going to push us out. He's going to discomfort us because the lost are so important to him, because the world is so important to him. Let's not stay comfortable, people of God. We can't. So what does that look like for us? Maybe that deals with, maybe that deals with, with saying, okay, God, fine, I, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go to a place that you call me to go to. I've been fighting it, I've been resisting it, but God, I'll go. If you send me, I'll go. If you call me, I'll go. Maybe for others, it's, it's saying, God, I don't want to live for this kind of dream anymore. I don't want to live to make the most money in, in, amongst all of my peers. I want to live for a different dream. And, and, and God, I feel that you've been tugging at my heart and calling me to something more than just making the most money. And God, I fought and I have resisted it. But God, I, I surrender and I let go to you. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's like you're, you're wrestling because you want to go all in for Christ, but at the same time, uh, you want so much to fit in with your friends. You want so much to, to go to those parties and do those things, and, and you're torn between these two things. And I don't think God could speak more clearly than He is to us, church, than He is right now. What is He calling you to do? How is he calling you to move right now? Let's step out, guys. Let's step out. Let's take a step of faith. Let's begin to pray that to the Lord. Just begin to pray that to the Lord. God, we, God, we, we, we need your help to do this. But God, wherever you send us, we'll go. Wherever you send us is a place you want us to be. So Lord, I'll follow you. 
I'll follow you because I know that you're with me. So let's pray. Let's pray that to the Lord. Just a, a, a prayer of, of resolution, of surrender, of commitment again uh, to the Lord. Just a practical, specific thing that we would surrender and offer to the Lord. So let's pray that to him right now. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are near and you hold your people. Thank you, Father, that you are good and that you are real. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. None can deny. And as we stand on you now, we know that he who promised you who promised is faithful. So may we hold on to you. May we cling to you. May we trust in you. Father, we know that we mourn and we grieve as those with hope. We know that there are many who suffer without hope. And our call is to bring the hope of glory, the hope of Christ to them. May we be awakened with a new fervor and a new passion, a new resolve, a new desire to bring your hope to those who don't have it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We pray for our church, for the many churches that have jumped on board in our prayers. The church in Ecuador, churches beyond, those who partnered with us in prayer and in support. We pray for them. We pray especially also for Joseph and his mother and father and their relatives and Tico's friends as they move to where you want them to go. Pray, Lord God, that the abiding presence of Christ would be so rich in them and so comforting to them and so near in their hearts. Thank you so much. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name.